Welcome back, everybody, to the Film Alchemist podcast. Uh, the show where we look at movies we love and try to figure out what makes them work. I am your host, Josh Griffey, joined, as always, on my journey through the stars by my good friend and co-host... Alex Dandino. <laughs> that was a longer dramatic pause than necessary. This is becoming a... Th- <laughs> I'll be honest, that didn't feel right. I came in too early, actually, I think. Oh, really? <laughs> I was going to say, we're going to need to f- create a wormhole to get from my <laughs> intro to your name. <laughs> Funny you should bring that up, Griff, because we've yes. got quite the wormhole film today. Yes, this is uh, our second curation. Uh, thank you all for joining with us, staying with us throughout these. We're having a really good time. Animals Attack was a very delightful time. I uh, hope you liked them all, but this curation, shit gets real. On this group of films, so the pod goes to hell. Pod goes to hell. Yeah, metal is shit. That's what we need. More metal. Um, so yeah, we are doing the pod goes to hell. These are films where either we go to hell or hell comes to us, as it were. Who knows? It's all in hell. Personal hell, big fiery hell, space hell. We've got them all. Uh, yeah. So, so this is the first of our four films, 1997 sci-fi horror epic, Event Horizon. Oh, yeah. Haunted house in space, baby. <laughs> it's time. The Shining in space as it was pitched. Uh, we both have loved this movie for ages. Um, I've always said if I was given a chance, right, if the Hollywood gatekeepers came down to old Casa de Griff and were saying, what movie would you like to reboot or remake? First off, I'd say, knock that shit off enough. But if you're offering, I'll do Event Horizon. <laughs> yes, absolutely, 100%. Event Horizon's like, Event Horizon's one of those movies that came out, uh, like it's, it's the late 90s, and you get this string of just like elevator pitch horror movies. And they're all, they all should be elevator pitches, but this is like one of those, The Shining in Space, da-da-da, da-da-da. Like, perfect. this one is perfect. <laughs> On so many levels, and it's such a great movie. I'm so excited to talk. Like I have preached this movie's, uh, I have preached its love and uh, tenderness for years, and I'm so glad we're talking about it on the show. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those movies that I always delight in. It's it's you know you always have that movie where it's like, hey, have you seen this? And if they haven't, you're like, stop what the fuck you're doing. We're watching yeah, this right. We're now. watching Event Horizon. I, I've done that for a lot of people. I love Event Horizon. Um. Let's see, to start, 1997, IMDb has it at a 6.7, solid rating. Um, solid. There are some things that haven't aged well. There are a couple issues. Uh, but good, that's a good rating. Rotten Tomatoes, you fucking blew it. 24%? Wrong. 24%? Wrong. You think only 24% of people who watch The Shining in space won't get their money's worth? Come on, guys. Uh, Come I'm on. not a Rotten Tomatoes hater. I, am- I like Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's a good uh, metric for some audiences to use. I think this one is criminally underrated on the tomatoes. Criminal. It's embarrassing, really. Like, Rotten Tomatoes, you fucked up. Yeah, so essentially Event Horizon, I'm hoping that you've all seen it by now, but Event Horizon is a ship, right? Aptly named after, um, you know, the the threshold of a black hole where uh, even at the speed of light, you can't escape gravitational resistance, right? Right. The escape velocity is never enough. Um, as they say, the laws of physics no longer apply. A very apt name for this uh, titular Very ship. much so. So essentially the essence is 
And again, we get title cards at the start with information. I love that. That's Every like, movie that gives me something to read before it starts, I love. It's a classic 90s <laughs> action movie trope just to catch you guys up on what has happened in the preceding years. It's fantastic. Well, I love the theory that they need to tell us when we went to like Mars yes. and that we're in space this as is they're about to start a story important. that's all space. <laughs> this is actually the, my favorite part of the scroll of the opening credits of like the exposition is because almost everything except for the last two are actually vital information. Like, yeah. Or sorry, everything are, are not vital information. Like 2012, we all landed on the moon again. Like we colonized it. It's insane. <laughs> no reason. Yeah. It's just letting you know, you know, yeah. it'd be like if Halloween started, Michael Myers was born. He had his first poopy diapy the day after. <laughs> like it's but all yeah, this so, information that's just so this letting you know, Hey, ship. we figured out the whole space travel. Thing. Yeah. In case the space stations weren't enough in the giant ships. Uh, so Event Horizon centers around a ship, the titular ship, Event Horizon, which uh, they build what they call a gravity drive, right? So this is how we're going to do deep space travel. The shortest distance between two points is not a straight line. It's zero, as Sam Neill eloquently says. Um, he takes a piece of paper to show you, right? He draws two points at the opposite ends of paper, folds it together, jams a pencil through. That's like a ship, right? Right. Um while poking, but a, while when they did the event horizon, everything was going great. Yeah, everything's going great with the event horizon as they fire it up, and then the ship just disappears. No vanishes. trace of it. It didn't. It didn't blow up as the government covered up. It just vanishes, right? And then it appears seven years later, way out in the middle of nowhere, by Neptune. This crew, right? So now we've as assembled a crew, and the Doctor who built it. We got to go out to Neptune's orbit and find out where this ship has been for seven years. That's right. how we start. Um, right away, we're introduced to the crew. An all-star cast, by the way. Great for cast. But this this is one of my favorite space crews right behind Alien 1. Oh, yeah. Um, I think the cast and crew are great. They live their roles a lot. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne is the captain. Is amazing in this movie. Strong and domineering. We got Cooper, the medic, the yeah, saver. Lawrence, he's not a saver. He's he's the, he's the, the like fix he's, it all. He's rescue technician is his is his uh, title. Richard, right. One of my favorite performances. Richard T. Jones in a very likable <laughs> performance. Yes. Right. Uh, who else is in it? We got the the hilarious doctor who smokes in space. <laughs> a lot of smoking in spaceships, which I would Jason, not be a fan Jason of. Jason Isaacs, who's best known Jason as Isaacs, yeah. as a. Uh, Lucius Malfoy from the Harry Potter films. Fucking bitch ass Malfoy, dude. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> Kathleen Kathleen Quinlan, uh, Jack Noseworthy, who no one knows for anything other than this movie because of some stuff that happens to him. Uh, Jolie Richardson, and then how uh, do you remember all of these actors' names? I am actually quite impressed by this because I just I don't know. It's just one of those weird things people have. I can't remember any names, and you're just naming off people. I mean, they might not even be the real names. Can someone fact check this here's, here, here's the one name I don't remember, and he's actually one of the only ones besides Lawrence Fishburne and Jason Isaacs that really is like in the public eye now is the guy who plays Smitty, who's the pilot of the Lewis and Clark, the ship that actually goes out to the Event Horizon. The another way, space smoker. Another space smoker, and he's best known now for being Alfred Pennyworth on the series Gotham on oh, that's CW. Right. But yeah, but what one of the things I most love about this movie is uh, the sets are incredible to me. It's amazing. Laura, Lawrence Fishburne has the greatest captain's chair of all time. It's essentially <laughs> the really cool space version of like 
the chair old ladies have to use to get upstairs. It's this really uncomfortable <laughs> Ikea hammock that they've fashioned into a captain's chair somehow. Well, like, I love one of the first times we see him. They're like firing up the Lewis and Clark, and he does it in reverse to where you can't see him. But he's like, ee! he spins around, <laughs> yeah. and then his turbulence happens. He's actually flipping all over the place. I'm like, that can't be helpful. Like, he's not stable at all. He's just whipping around. Yeah, no, he's in bad Great shape. captain seat. Uh, but yeah, the sets are so good. It feels truly lived in at times. The the crew, great in their roles, right? Absolutely. So so Sam Neill is the the outsider. He joins in. He thinks the captain's got a problem with him. Sam Neill. So there's is, a, there's a Sam, little bit of resistance to him at the start. And Sam Neill is the uh, man who invented the gravity drive that the Event Horizon uh, houses, which is this thing that creates hyperspace travel, which is not traveling faster than the speed of light. What it does is opens a dimensional gateway to another point, which is the zero point in space. Yeah, it folds actu- actually folds space to where you can go there. Right. Um, so a great moment is when they show up and they first see the event horizon, right? Because first off, none of them believe him. They're like, are you fucking kidding me? We got to come out here on our break for a blown up ship. He gives them all the deets. Yeah. Right? And then they pull up and we get our first shot of the event horizon that's out. And one of my favorite scenes, which is, is there insane amounts of turbulence in space? <laughs> There's an they're going through a cloud. They're like, 10,000 meters, 1,000 meters. And the whole ship's shaking. And Lawrence Fishburne's getting flipped around on his hammock. But then Sam Neill just walks up and like grabs the oh shit bar. Yeah. <laughs> I think my favorite, one of my favorite beats in that scene where they're like, holy shit, is uh, Lawrence Fishburne's like, uh, tells Jolie Richardson like, hail him. And apparently it's 2047 and we have not updated walkie technology so we're still like doing one of these <laughs> one of these hands space sets. truck in yeah. event horizon i'm like really a handset you can't just hit a button and it's like smoky smoky drop some bacon on my nuts <laughs> <laughs> event horizon i'll have a double cheeseburger no onions yeah like that kind of this thing. movie also has another thing that i love that's like this very insane technology, and apparently they've invented technology now. When you get an audio file or a video file, you just run it through filters. Filters. <laughs> so they do it with audio, right? That was like, like, I think we detect a human voice. So, okay. That was one I'm of my to favorite. believe that in Texas, right? Yeah. Or wherever. In, on Earth, I mean. Wherever NASA's headquarters are. Wherever. They built this amazing ship, the Event Horizon. We have space stations. We have other crews that can go to Neptune. And literally, they get this one audio file of what happened to their ship. Right. No one can decipher it. And then just out of nowhere, the doctor's like in between drags on his sig. He's like, oh, that's Latin, dog. Right. <laughs> I think. Oh, uh, th- Liberate May. Heard it. First time. Amazing. <laughs> there's, there's a beat in this movie when they're introducing all the people to Sam Neill. Uh, when uh, they introduce Jason Isaacs, Richard T. Jones. Because here's an important thing. Richard T. Jones in the movie is all is the audience. And if you follow Richard T. Jones' character, <laughs> you're basically everyone in the in the in the theater is Richard T. Jones. So when Jason Isaacs, when they introduce him, he goes, "This is our uh, the surly looking guy in the corner is our doctor." Uh, and he looks up, and I swear to God, he just goes, "Drama." <laughs> and Richard T. Jones just cracks up. He just breaks <laughs> out laughing, and I'm like, "Great, okay, good." So we're all on the same page. That was ridiculous. Awesome. All right. <laughs> Taking yourself mighty serious, Sig Smoking Doc. <laughs> Easy Smoking Doc. <laughs> yeah, no, but I love the Event Horizon's a really well designed ship. It's very yeah. fun. The Event Horizon becomes one of my favorite haunted houses in a movie. Absolutely. Um, they do this really cool thing, right? When they're like, scan for life. It's deep freeze. No one can survive that. But when she scans the ship, right, there's life reading everywhere. Right. 
oh, this must be broken. So then we have to enter the ship, right? We enter the ship, whatever. You stay on the the other ship, Doc. You're not invited. Yeah. <laughs> and then this is where, uh, for the first time, we see the inside of the ship. It's really cool, right? Right. But the beautiful hallmark of this ship, and one of the things that is the coolest in the movie is the graviton gravity drive drives. itself. Gravity drive is amazing. Yeah, it's one of those things you look at and you're like, this is insanely absurd. <laughs> Probably has no scientific merit. Like, why are there giant spikes all over the walls? What's interesting well, God is... God damn, does it look cool. <laughs> I, actually, I actually read... Because, uh, you know, you like I like to read up on the facts and stuff like that. And originally in the script, it was very smooth and very, like, um, space-agey. Like, no... I read that. It was supposed to be uh, kind of like the monolith in 2001. Right. And just like a Paul W.S. Anderson ball. was like, no, I want it to be like Hellraiser. The puzzle box in Hellraiser. So yeah, there's there's an enormous amount of this movie that you can tell um, is directly paying tribute to Clyde Barker and Hellraiser, particularly um, the gravity drive. Like when they when they show the the blood orgy with oh, the crew yeah. when they finally when the filters oh finally God, yeah. run it through, that is direct Clyde Barker. <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, hell of a filter on those uh, on on that ship. They, they filter the yeah. Hell I gotta out of that I gotta stuff. check my uh, final cut see if I got all these <laughs> blood orgy filters. See, I have that blood orgy filter in there. <laughs> Yeah, so so the drive opens up and Baby Bear gets sucked in, right? That's Jack Noseworthy for all of you folks. Yeah, and it sends a ripple effect uh through the ship. It destroys the ship that we came in on the Lewis and Clark. Everyone now has to get into the haunted house, right? The sheep to slaughter. Right. Um this is our incident. And from there we start to dive in to the the real meat of the movie, which is there, there's a fascinating interplay between the ship and the crew, which to me is, is hell a place or is hell life? Right. Right? So the ship has been somewhere. We don't know where. What we know is that when Baby Bear goes, he's in there for what seems like maybe a couple minutes. He comes out and he's distraught, ruined forever. Right. Uh, by the things he saw. This ship has been there for seven years. Um, the ship itself seems to have absorbed the energies of, it has some kind of, life that is interplaying with these characters i don't know if it's supposed to be sentient the ship or if it's an energy what it is but then we start and this is the best stuff in the movie to me is where hell becomes personal right so this is the haunted house where it's not just the skeleton that's going to pop out of the closet although we do have that with the corpse sickle really great scene very cool (laughs) uh but what it is is we start realizing like sam neill uh his partner killed herself right he's dealing with that lawrence fishburne saw some things in the war right yeah he has that great monologue about it's so beautiful the way the napalm yeah. slides all this over guy everyone. that he was working with he uh like the cabin lit on fire and it was in space and he was describing space uh fire in space as like it hits people and it comes yes. out in waves yeah and it's a great moment but it's very personal trauma right that the uh the mom who has the crippled son who she had to leave um when she was supposed to have him and she's watching his tape she starts having interplays with that. Uh, one of the things I wanted more of was I wanted to see everyone's hell. Yeah. Right? I would have I would have gone away a little bit from more of the action-y set pieces. And I would have gone deeper into the psychosis of um, the hell that we all carry and how it starts to interplay with the audience. Because I thought that part of the movie was really good. And it brought me to a question. Do you think Sam Neill specifically designed the event horizon to do exactly what it did. Do you think Sam Neill wanted Interesting. And in a way he's punishing himself, right? He he is in a personal hell. And so he designs the ship to manifest that. 
I've never thought of this wrinkle, and that's actually a very interesting point, because even before they arrive, basically right when they get to the event horizon, he's drawn to the ship. He's like, I need to be on that ship. And Lawrence Fisher's like, you're not getting on there until my people have secured it. And mm-hmm. that's an interesting thing I haven't and thought of. And the ship of. fucking beckons to him. Yeah, right? that's, that's interesting. I've never thought of it that way, but that makes kind of a lot of sense when you think about it. Yeah, he, I mean, because he's the one who presumably would have been programming it, designing where it goes. Right. Um. Yeah, do you think a part of this is maybe maybe this is something, right? Maybe there is a connection between the hell that we carry and the physical location that this ship went. Could so be. maybe Sam Neill manifested, but I think that's a fun wrinkle in the movie that That is interesting, yeah. Cuz this I mean, is something you see by the end of the movie Sam Neill becomes the personified right. uh devil of the ship, right? We even see <laughs> one of my favorite things in the movie is um whenever someone tries to uh, tussle with Sam Neill and he looks like just this the daintiest of guys who's never been in a fight right and like when uh, Smitty pushes him he rears back and just opens his palm as wide as he can <laughs> as if he's going to deliver a bitch slap and there's another scene when uh, Lawrence Fishburne pushes him and he goes fuck this shit yeah he reaches up with both hands now doing the fucking wide open palm and I'm like have you ever been in a fight <laughs> and he goes from that to sliced up devil man who's beating the shit out of people so right. obviously he has been imbued with some kind of powers well he uh, gets... what do you think man was this an imp- intentional play to match his emotions to his real life suffering hmm that's a really interesting i kind of would agree with it because mainly because there's the um there's the uh turn at the turn for the third act where um whatever is trying something's trying to break through the door on the bridge and he's about to like let it oh in. yeah He's like, okay, I was going to ask you, what the fuck do you think that's supposed to be? I think that's just a, I think that's just a manifestation. That's some sort that's of. That's just a haunted house element? I think that's just a haunted house element. But the fact that he was willing to let whatever it was in, I think, had a lot to do with it. There's yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of these elements in the movie that are really fascinating to me about, especially now that I'm thinking about the Sam Neill wrinkle. Like, of course he would, like when he goes in to fix the gravity drive during the power drain, like. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's where I feel like the road to hell is paved with the best intentions. So maybe Sam Neill, instead of meaning to create instead of he's trying to make like faster than light travel instead Mm -hmm. of doing that, he makes something that takes him somewhere else. But it's still science. It's still discovery into another place in this world. So really, Sam Neill did what he meant to do the entire time. He just simply did it. For you know, he did it for the wrong place. Right. <laughs> like instead well, of go, instead of going to another world, scene, he went to hell. Yeah, exactly. The funny thing in that scene is that right after he sees his wife, right, without the eyeballs, yeah, or his partner, whoever she may be, and you see her vagina, um, which was kind of weird. They come back to the bridge, right, and everyone is starting to see things, right. The captain's like, "I felt heat." Yeah, it was real. Um, he's still passing everyone off as, "Oh, you're delusional." He doesn't admit what he saw. Right. Um. Which to me is just prolonging the exposure to this uh, hell effect, right? So I I don't know if it was intentional, but maybe upon realizing it, right? Since he's built the ship, we don't know exactly when his partner killed herself. Right. Maybe this is his chance, right? To, oh, uh, you're thinking he's like punish himself justly. Right. Right? Like, oh, my overworking on this gift to everyone else cost me the thing I hold most dear. Right. Um, I don't, 
that might be a stretch, but I think it plays as a fun um, subtext to keep in mind while it watching does. the movie. I mean, I think Sam Neill's character creates his own personal hell by working too much. Like, that's what ends up, that's kind of what it ends up being for him in general. But uh, I just realized this, though. Richard T. Jones, well, Richard T. Jones, I guess, isn't on the ship very much. That's why he doesn't have hallucinations. And See, that's, that's one of the things in the movie is that we don't see the the hell of everyone right like baby bears unfairly sucked in right the uh the blonde haired captain we don't ever see anything from her really yeah Kathleen, Richard T Jones Smitty they don't have moments so Kathleen, it's mostly focused around the mom yeah it's, uh the captain and uh Sam Neill it's like Kathleen Quinlan yeah and even Jason Isaacs who's on the ship the entire time doesn't have like a personal hell or anything he's just oh what we learned from him from his very first character intro is that all of his existence is hell. <laughs> He Hell is terrified to enter Jason Isaacs. <laughs> Trauma. <laughs> Trauma. Oh my god, I love Who this knows movie. what that ship scene, Captain? I love And then the ship's so like much. nothing like you. You're horrible. <laughs> I love this Ooh. movie so much. Yeah, like I mean it, the great the I think the great part about the movie too is like even the like this movie doesn't function for me necessarily on like big jump scares. What it does is it kind of has like jump scare upon jump scare within sequence. So what I like, for instance, like Kathleen Quinlan's death scene where she's like chasing her kid throughout the oh ship. Oh my God, that is fucking brutal. Oh, right. It's horrifying. Like it's one of those things. I'm like, Oh my God. Like that's just the worst way to die is like, well, also that death is so cool. Right. Cause it's a moment where she's on her way out. I have the 25th scrubber. Yeah. And she already is knowing she's seeing things, right? So in her rational mind, she knows something's up. Right. And then there's like this, boom, like a sound or a flash. And mm-hmm. she's drawn right back. It's this, no matter how far we run, all that horrible shit we keep inside ourselves is always, you can't outrun it. Yeah. And in a way, she almost, you could almost think she runs back as her chance for sweet release from it. Oh, uh, yeah. That's Which is fucking horrible and sad, man. She, right. has, she has a really bummer of a death. She and a- also, she's dealing with Baby Bear, who it seems like she's kind of taken... She's taking uh, under his wing. A mother figure role, right? Yeah. yeah. Are we um, going to yeah, talk it's about... Fascinating. I think my... But my favorite, like, action sequence in the movie oh, is God. for sure Jack knows where these eyeballs exploding. That is like... that. The scene where he's holding his eyes going... Oh my the blood's God. coming out from between his fingers is fucking awesome. It's here's a question I had though, right? So he gets to the airlock and he's kind of like, the darkness is in me. Yeah. But then he wakes up, right? And he's like, wait, what's happening? What's that? Do you think he actually wakes up or is which part of it is the hell? I the mean, first I- part with the darkness or the later part pretending that he is a an unwitting victim just to fucking terrorize the crew more. Well, I think that's what's kind of confusing to me about his whole role in it. Cause obviously he's like seizing and having all these horrible visions and everything. But when he goes and does that, I mean, essentially what he's doing is that version of himself is trying to end it. But yeah, the idea though would be that the event horizon, like, cause by the end we realize the event horizon wants to take everyone with him to Proxima Centauri. So what I'm confused with when I watch the movie is like, why is Jack noseworthy trying to kill himself? But he knows, like, but then he's like I think freaked out. That's a moment of, lucidness where he's killing himself and the event horizon oh. makes him like help me help me mama okay that's just to interesting fuck with I the like other that. people more yeah to exacerbate their hell effect sure um i think that's a really fun scene right like the way it plays out in the action like one of the big things of event horizon is um 
while the sets are stunning, yes, a lot of the <laughs> the the CG and the uh, kind of effects work, the wire work, have not, not aged particularly well. <laughs> not great. Uh, so yeah, that's like that's one of those things. Rarely do I think there's a need for like a reboot, right? Like there's nothing to be gained by redoing Rosemary's Baby or some of these movies where you're like, they're just great. They still work. They don't require this increased technology. Right. The way they chose to add all these action-y elements to Event Horizon gave rise to moments that could be done much better today. Right. Actually, here something interesting I had read is that um, one of the big problems with it, right, is it was twofold, is that uh, the studio decided they wanted to push Titanic back to Oscar season. Right. So they just gave this movie a slot that was at least six months, if not earlier, than they wanted to deliver it. Yeah. So there was a lot of rushing, uh, some budgetary constraints, which uh, every time I read that, I laugh. That's every movie, it seems. Right. The- and, uh, but the first cut of this came in at like 130 minutes, 130 and it minutes. was NC-17. They had to cut out 30 minutes of the... The vulgar, scary stuff. Right. Which, which to me, you're like, oh, God, if you replace some of these action-y, kind of cringy yeah. wire work moments with that Clive Barker blood orgy tape. I mean, Jesus. I This is the thing. This is one of the funny things, like, talking about as film alchemy, right? This movie overcomes a lot of those kind of things, which are very off-putting. Mm-hmm. To me, it's, it's one of those that's always stuck with me, right? Like, yeah. the concepts of venturing all the way out into space just to find the hell that's inside of yourself. Yeah. Right. The further you're pulled away from your safety net, right. You don't have anything to block you from going in and scary and dark and deep. Um, I, I love that about this movie, man. I mean, it's really, uh, yeah. I mean, that's what it is, is it's, it's always about the hells you create yourself, especially anyone who has these visions in the movie. Like, we focus mainly on Lawrence Fishburne and Kathleen Quinlan's visions, but each of them are personal hells they put themselves through. Like Kathleen Quinlan, Quinlan is a working mom, so she she goes to she goes to space and she's a you know she does what she does, but she has to leave her child behind who's obviously got some sort of ailment. And then Lawrence Fishburne's dealing with the fact that he's he he left a man behind. He he and he even tells the story when he tells the story to Jason Isaacs, he's like I. It's the only man I've ever lost. Like, it's one of those things he, like, holds with him. And Sam Neill as well, having to leave his wife. Like, it's a really interesting thing. Like, the movie's a lot about... Really, what's interesting and I find kind of, like, gripping and kind of terrifying about the idea is, like, I I travel a lot for work and I have to leave my wife a lot of the time uh, to go on the road. And I think that kind of factors a lot into the guilt that you carry with as your own personal hell is, like, I realize when I go on the road, I have to travel. I have to be away for a while from the person that I love and the people that I care about. Like that in and of itself is a terrifying notion. So for them to sequence that into a movie and make it about the personal hell that loneliness brings is really, and not just loneliness, but like the loneliness that is accrued from having to leave the people you value. That is in and of itself, brilliant filmmaking. Right. You know, it just dawned on me. I think we did see Smitty's hell. Really? Yeah, Smitty's hell is that he constantly tries to fight Sam Neill and gets bitch slapped <laughs> by the open palm strikes. Um, Could you imagine? You just wake up every day and Sam Neill's like, what's up? What's up? You go to punch him and he just goes, pts, pts, just these little smacks on the, ow, ow, Sam, stop, stop. 
death by a thousand open palm bitch slaps. <laughs> there's something really no, um, there's, there's something there's, really interesting about the production. It's funny of this how movie much too. that, but that's what I mean. It's funny how much of that kind of deeper stuff pulls through some of the 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 cringy yeah. stuff that is now not aged well. Um, like here's a prime example, right? Uh, when Coop is flying off into space. He's like, oh, no. And then he has to, like, fire extinguisher his way back to the event horizon. Oh, my God. I love that so much. It's one of those scenes where I think it holds a special place in my heart because now it's become one of those, like, you're never going to believe this fucking shit. (laughs) But it's, like, it's objectively just one of those things where you're like, why on earth is that in the movie (laughs) versus some kind of, like, journey into hell? I, but it's it's one of the that's what I mean. It's an inexact science. It it becomes one of the more memorable and hilarious scenes. What I love the minute he gets jettisoned, like we focus, we spend so much time. By the way, with Richard T. Jones as he's jettisoned from the Lewis and Clark, like trying to figure out how he's going to get home. He's like flying out, like spinning on a piece of Just, metal. And yeah, he, and he's got magnet boots. And the best part is you hear him like, oh my god. Okay. Oh my god. What are we gonna do? Oh my god. And then he like figures it out. He decompresses and starts rocketing towards the ship. He's like, "Yeah, motherfucker!" I'm like, this "I'm movie, coming, motherfucker!" This movie. And then he comes back and he has the welding gun, so he's taking pot shots through the <laughs> ship. It's Sam Neil. Which, by the way, the absolute worst portrayal of being sucked into space by a black hole. <laughs> as long as everyone has like minute base level CrossFit strength, right. they're immune to the vacuum of space. It's just. Uh, it's one of the. It's so funny because to me it still works. Like I when I saw the movie originally, and I was young, uh, the sets of it, the environment of the house, and the concept of hell almost becoming an infectious virus that's within us. Yeah, that's what works for me. So then you can you can stand a little more of the the kind of third action shenanigans, right? right? By the way, uh, like the scene when. Like the captain is just trying to fucking baseball bat Sam Neil. You're like, yeah. I feel like there's something more interesting we could have done, but it's fine. It's yeah. fine. You know. What I mean? Also, but, there's a, there's an important point of order I'd like to bring up for this movie, and it's that it inspired one movie that everyone claims to be just the greatest piece of one of the greatest piece of art in the last five years. The explanation Sam Neil gives for interstellar travel is the exact same explanation that. That other guy gives an interstellar for interstellar travel. He uses the right. it's the same folded piece of paper. It's the same demonstration. So that's brilliant like to, visual storytelling. So I'd like to say, <laughs> Christopher Nolan, I know you're a huge fan of this movie. Clearly, if you're going to need to reboot or remake something, I think this should be on the top of your list, sir. That's definitely until interstellar has a blood orgy. You can keep it. <laughs> I don't want it. Or Sam Neill fucking fighting that robot with his open palms. <laughs> I want him to fight the refrigerator robot. Yeah. <laughs> I think Smitty Smith, uh, Smith needs to be replaced by whatever that SARS or whatever that thing's called. Also, why did they have to go to Neptune? Jason Isaac is hell as a man. <laughs> uh, no, but he has the line of the movie to me. This is the line that sealed it for me, which is who knows where that ship has been? Who yeah. knows what it's seen? Right. Who knows what it brought back? You're like, as soon as I saw that, that, that solidifies the whole thing to me. I... I think the setting of the haunted house is one of my favorites. And I like, I like the way, because this is the, I'm trying to think of other great haunted house movies. Most of the horror comes from without. Mm -hmm. This is from within. 
I mean, the other movie I'd say that has this sort of like visual flair that maybe, I mean, uh, I don't know. Like that remake of House on Haunted Hill has that same sort of like weird, it has a different kind of vibe, but I don't know if it's, it's not nearly as but clever. But that's, that's not from within, right? Like 13 Ghosts is of that ilk. Yeah, uh, the but, Shining, obviously, it's from within, yeah. but also from without because it seems that in The Shining, we learn that there's some kind of cyclical nature to right. Jack's character. But that's exactly how this works too. Like the 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 ship reacts to these guys in this really like infection yes. sort of way. Is it's but that yeah. See, you hit it there, right? It's like you have this hell inside of you, and this is the catalyst to make it bloom. Right? This right. is where the bacteria starts growing uncontrollably and consuming you. To me, that's enough to get over. The cringy action, right? Yeah. And if if this movie could be remade and focus in and hone in on that that Clive Barker tone, right? Like right. I don't I don't necessarily like the I don't think this movie needs as much of the sleaziness of some of Clive Barker's work. <laughs> yeah. I but mean, um the concepts are there. I mean, this movie is obviously a bit homage to Hellraiser. Right. And that's one of the things Hellraiser did really well. I mean um, those cut scenes, like at the very end when they like Pult when they like he Sam Neill's like officially like the cut up like devil guy and like puts his hand on uh Lawrence Fishburne's head and he goes the do you say do you say like that whole thing those shots I'm like that is directly from Clive Barker like there's yeah. nothing about that that's not a Clive Barker homage like the metal the way things look with um the way things look with barbed wire all of it is very much like you are supposed to that's what it's invoking for sure yeah for sure and i think it does it very well um like yeah. i said there are some things that have not aged well and they're a bit cringeworthy but the good stuff is really good i mean the cast is phenomenal yeah the performances are great the set design it becomes one of the most beautiful and fun haunted houses to trape around it oh yeah um the deeper concept of personal hells and loneliness is ex exacerbated by the loneliness and emptiness of space travel. Right. Um, even something as silly as the last shot where they unmask Sam Neill again in like the trooper helmet. Yeah. I mean, you can even go out on a limb and say, Hey, you're still bringing hell with you. You haven't escaped right. hell. You think hell is the event horizon. No, it's always with you, bitch. You, you know, the thing, um, that, there's a thing that I really like at the very beginning of the movie is when Jack knows where he's about to go into the gravity drive and he goes through that big spinning. Well, that they always uh like it's always in like a like a fun house that weird like sort of thing that almost looks like you're walking through a meat grinder and he even says yes. this looks like a meat grinder so to me like you know the production designer did that and they're like no one's going to believe that there's a reason for this like you have to like figure out a way and then he says magnetism and then yeah he comes like <laughs> magnets it must be magnets <laughs> yeah. like i was like that's genius here all we, we know is that Sam Neill's smarter than all of us, and yeah. we accept all of them. Exactly. We it's have like, to why do you have so many spikes value. in your circle room? It seems like it would be insanely hard to work on that. <laughs> Science! No, we need the spikes! That's why, because he is... The Event Horizon is a direct personification of his pain and misery. Oh, man. That is actually a really fascinating wrinkle. I had never thought about it being just Sam Neill incarnate. That's fascinating. Yeah. What I like about this movie is that... I, I've always loved this movie, but... Would you be excited? Would you go to the theater to see a remake of this? I think I would. And I think it's because I, I have such love for the original. And I think because of what we're talking about right now, like any good movie. And like, this goes back to the theme of the show. Like the alchemy of making a movie like this is 
making something that maybe on its face seems very superficial, but there's so much to unpack otherwise. Like, that's what makes it worthy. That's what makes movies worthy of a remake. Like, when I go see movies that are reboots or remakes, a lot of the time they don't seem that way because we've already unpacked everything we need to know about the right. characters, about the story. A remake of a movie that maybe didn't just get its due, that's a, that's a remake worth going to see. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a lot of room for this this theme and this ship to be filled up. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I would like it. I would like to see that myself. Uh, do you have a director you'd love to see take this on? I mean... Paul Anderson, he was a thing, man. I read online that he turned down, because Mortal Kombat was a success. Yeah. <laughs> he turned down X-Men, X-Files, and... Uh, Alien Resurrection. Resurrection! Yeah. To do his own, because he was he wanted to do something more adult and violent. He did not want to do another PG. And then he got movie. fucking neutered yeah. by the NC seventeen rating and test screenings. Such a shame. I mean, but if you had an idea, who would you would you want to see Rob Zombie? No. Would you want to see? <laughs> no. And here's why: like Rob Zombie, I don't think Rob Zombie is a proficient enough filmmaker. Is why I, I think, I Rob, think Zombie, Rob Zombie is a surface filmmaker. I think so. And that's too. not what this calls for. I think you need one of these guys who's coming up now, who's making these sort of like thinking horror movies. Like, uh, I mean, off the top of my head, just because we were just you know, just because I just thought of it. Uh, uh, Ari Aster, the guy who directed Hereditary, might be a good person. Like, again, oh my god, but, I'll watch anything that motherfucker does. To like, Madonna he's time. just such an that would be great. He's just such an interesting visualist, and I feel like this is another one of those movies that could really be brought to the forefront. I mean. You know, another person that might be good is, I mean, this is a weird one. And I, I don't know why I'm thinking this, but I, maybe it's also because we're just talking about in this vein. Wouldn't an Aronofsky version of this would just be fucking awesome? Yeah, if he would stop making uh, just remakings of Bible stories and focus in on this <laughs> with the fucking power that that guy can put on screen. Right. For sure, like he's such that's a funny because every time we talk about remakes and reboots of anything kind of dark, he's always the first one that leaps to my mind. I know, and because he, he just um, does it so well. Yeah, well, like even Danny Boyle made a movie that plays very Sunshine, similar to this. Yeah. Sunshine is such a fucking yeah. awesome movie. Sunshine's and incredible. it feels a lot like this. It does right where it, it plays on a lot of the same kind of themes: the isolation and loneliness. Um, it doesn't have the deeper element, I would say, of you know the actual realm of hell. Yeah, I mean, it but has then again, the same... if, if hell's personal to everyone, it plays the same. But... Uh, Sunshine to me is kind of a a spiritual successor to this movie. Sunshine's the more the movie that takes itself a little more seriously. I mean, it still has this very like slashery third act, but at the same time, yes. like it has the same sort of um, visualist thing. Like, there's a lot of design elements that go into Sunshine that are very similar to what had had to go into Event uh, Horizon, I'd say. I so, fucking love that movie. Oh, I love Sunshine. Love that. I think Sunshine's movie. an incredible piece of filmmaking. I also have read that Danny Boyle, after making Sunshine, said, I'll never make another science fiction movie in my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, but I mean, look, there's so many like, there's so many great visual directors and there's so many great, like, I, I see this movie, man, I, I think Ari Aster. You know my long shot. Park, you man. know my long shot. Who I would maybe consider uh, Neil Marshall, who did the Descent. Interesting. I think the way he played the Descent has a lot of the same elements that I would want to see in a new Event Horizon. Okay. Obviously, again, that goes a little creature feature. Yeah. Uh, by the end, but the interplay of those women as they are first 
dealing with the fact that this is spelunking gone awry. Yeah. Uh, I think that is exactly what you need for the opening of this movie. Um, so yeah, I think that'd be a that'd be a long shot. I would watch that. I think if you yeah, wanna, to, to I think me, if you want to go just, with the obvious one, James this, Wan would be also be a great choice. Yeah, yeah. to me, it's just like I would like a reboot. That doesn't just shit on this one. This is not one of those like that movie was so bad we need to redo it. No, I want I want something that pays o- homage and plays as kind of a nice um, double feature with this one, right. right? So as the first one, like you said, it's a little more actiony, this and that, a little more fun, lighter fare. This one is the deeper underbelly of it, yeah. right? I think the, I don't want one that just comes in and is like Event Horizon fucking sucks. We need to take it back to the drawing board. Right? No, that's that's not the case. No, because it's not a bad movie. It's just a movie that was. It's a movie that's underappreciated because it can't be. It wasn't fully realized. I think like that's yeah. the beauty of remaking movies is when you and get a the, shot. You know. Yeah. The fucked up thing is, I read that when they went back and were going to let him do the director's cut. A lot of the footage was lost. Yeah, and like, it was like a bad, it was a it bad archive. Yeah. That sucks. Like, like how- I, I would love to see the version of this movie with that extra 30 minutes. of. Because to me, the biggest flaw of the movie is that we shrink away from the horror right. and we get more action scenes, right? To so me, if you replaced every action scene with a horror scene, I mean, who knows how great this movie could have been. It's already great to me. For me, the biggest I've flaw of the movie, movie is that Richard T. Jones is actually not the featured character in the film. <laughs> no. <laughs> the rescue technician should always be. They the should have just gotten character. rid of every character except for Jason Isaac. I just want him walking around spaceships smoking and saying really sad things. I just want him walking around smoking and looking at people going, Trauma. Looking right to the camera going, Trauma. That's what trauma. I want. Trauma. Trauma. Personal trauma. And then you cut to like a blood orgy music video. Trauma. Some nine inch nails playing. Trauma. 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 Blood RJ. There's a there's a supercut somewhere in there. Yeah. I, I would watch that. If you want all my movie yeah. dollars. Again, I really make the think, nine inch nails concert version of this with Jason. Honestly, this is the movie. This is one movie I've said for years, like, and I agree with you. Like, this is absolutely a movie that deserves to be remade. Like just because there's so much more to unpack with what it is. And I really think that especially now in this climate of movie making and, you know, we're in a whole, we're in a whole horror Renaissance right now. We still are. Oh like, my God. The golden age of horror films. I mean, really we still are. And there's no reason age. not to take it to another level and remake this kind of movie and say, watch us make space really scary again. Like question for you. Take it. Question straight reboot, reimagining or sequel. Uh, straight reboot. I don't want to see another. Yeah. I don't need another version. As soon as I said it, I was like, I actually need that Sam Neill tie to the ship. Yeah. I need that. Like, I feel like a sequel. I mean, I don't really, I know what a sequel looks like. I already saw it. It's called Hellraiser. Like, I've watched that movie a couple of times. So. <laughs> no, you just say the Event Horizon's back and they send another crew. So this new crew led by Cumberbatch, right? Bad oh, Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. He's Sam Neill's offspring, right? Maybe he had a floozy phase after he lost his wife before in the seven-year gap. <laughs> so Cumberbatch comes back. He's been training in the mountains, mastering the open-hand smack fighting style. <laughs> and he's like, I'll take hell on. I like <laughs> and how he goes up to the event horizon, and Jason Isaac is still just sitting on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's your sequel. 
Every time you construct a sequel to a movie, it always sounds ends up sounding like Highlander. I swear to God. Just, <laughs> Every movie should be goddamn Highlander. We um, should be so lucky. <laughs> if you were going to do a reboot, though, I actually think Benedict Cumberbatch would be an awesome choice for the Sam Neill character for a remake. Yeah, he would be great for everything. What about what about who would be Lawrence Fishburne? Lawrence Fishburne. Idris Elba. Ooh, that is a good one. Damn, Idris Elba is just the most manly ass motherfucker. So if you're like, who's the super tough captain? Yeah. Idris Elba, always. Also, there's a really good there's I read I was reading the facts online. There's a really interesting detail, which is um the national the patches on everyone's um suits are specific to the countries they're from, but they've all changed based on what the based on whatever uh geopolitics had gone on at the time. So like the uh, American astronauts have 55 stars on their patch. Oh, and um, like Sam Neill's uh, Australia patch no longer has the Union Jack in it. Like it's really Goddamn colonizers. Like, it's like those like <laughs> it's like those little details that I'm like, that's really interesting. But in this kind of movie, like who gives a shit? <laughs> you could do an entire study on things like that, that artists uh, in People on film crews have added into movies that will just never be appreciated enough. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> it's it's why it's like why someone I'm... really had to think about that and thought it would help the lifeblood of this movie. And just how many people ever even notice that? I've seen this movie a bunch of times. I never noticed that. It's why it's why these it's movies sad. have so many unsung heroes. It's why film. It's why filmmaking is such an interesting collaborative process because so many people add these little details that. Honestly, no one will ever pick up on except for like some fucking nerds like us who. Well, now that I movies. did, I think that's really cool. But yeah, it like, is. It's hard. Yeah, I read somewhere also on the facts that uh, there's like a X-wing somewhere on there. I was watching it, trying to find it, and I couldn't see. It. I was like, "Fucking nerds." <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that someone's watched this movie more than us and has actually spent the time to pause. Like X-wing, right there. That's true. I would put myself, anyone who didn't, like, wasn't associated with this movie, I've got to be in the upper echelon of amount of times Event Horizon viewed. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I would agree with that. I think you could ask my wife and she would say, she's like, she, there's a number of times she's come home and I've been watching this movie. Andrea's just like, don't you fucking mention Event Horizon around me. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, to wrap it up, I just, I find this movie to be, Full of fun, a beautiful set filled with amazing actors, um, and a concept that has a lot of run. Um, despite some of the the poor effects of aging, this ship still soars, baby. It really I love does, it. Man. Uh, what are your final thoughts? I mean, if there's ever a movie we've watched for, so I mean, granted, this is still pretty early in the process, but if there's a movie we're going to watch for this show that I think is worthy of a remake and a remake that like is good and worth watching. This is yes. definitely the one that's worth it. Yeah. And that's the fun thing. It doesn't have to fix like a super fucked up source material. You just have to grow what they already planted. Yeah. I think that's what's um, great. And I mean, yeah, it's just as great, scary haunted house and space movie. Like if you like to sit down and be a little scared and, you know, think about the goofy shit you saw afterwards, like this is the movie yeah. for you, man. That's the thing is how much of the the scariness of the concept comes through the action set pieces. Yeah. That's a real testament to this movie as a uh, a piece of work. Agreed. Um, so, yeah, guys, that's it. If you like Event Horizon as much, share your thoughts. 
Um, grab a buddy, watch the movie with them, and then share the show with them, guys. That's the thing you can help us with most. Personal connection to another movie lover who wants to join us for these talks. Please. Um, stay tuned for the rest of the Pod Goes to Hell curation. Uh, some other really good ones coming up. If you have time and want to help us out, rate and review the show. It helps us as much as you sharing the show. Uh means a lot to us. Come on. So, get off your asses and do it. Come on, you bitches. Otherwise, that's gonna, my, otherwise my personal you're... hell. If I were on the event horizon, it would just be me asking people to rate and review podcast I do. <laughs> that's right. If you While getting you're open hand up, fought by Sammy. Far away from home in Proxima Centauri getting Clive Barker. And no one wants that. Nobody wants uh, that. So, yeah, guys, until the next movie, I'm your host, Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. Take it easy. <laughs>